Pardon me, thanks. Good morning. Good to have you all here today and want to welcome those that are visiting. It's great to come and see your kids and grandkids if you're here to celebrate with us and we're grateful for that. A couple quick announcements. First of all, we have some free DVDs that are available. As many of you know, the Ministry Campus Crusade, it's now called Crew. They are very famous for having put together a film of the life of Jesus. It's called the, the Jesus Project. And so we have a bunch of extras of these to give away. It has three stories on there. One is called Magdalena, the story of Mary Magdalene, particularly for ladies. And then the other two are the life of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. And they're very, very well done. And then the other one is the story of Jesus. It's a children's story of the life of Christ. So these are free. And if, when you're leaving, they're on the left-hand side at the bookstore. So help yourself. It'd be fun to invite somebody to watch it with you and have a conversation. For those of you who have never seen it, it's an outstanding video. Secondly, we have a, a new master in our midst. Yesterday, I don't think he's here right now, but be sure to congratulate. Um, Pastor Austin graduated from Cairn University yesterday with his Master of Divinity. So I suppose we need to start calling him Master Austin. And then third, we have um, invitations here to our Christmas service. We would love to invite you to our Christmas Eve. And also, if you know somebody, these would be helpful to pass out and invite them. So at this time, I'd like to invite you to turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible, we have plenty of extras. So our ushers are coming. We give away a lot of Bibles, so feel free Raise your hand, and we'll be glad to share this with you. The next two Sundays, we're answering a question. And the question comes from a Christmas carol, a famous one, What child is this? And the first line says, What child is this who lay to rest in Mary's lap is sleeping? And we want to address that question because a lot of people have some idea of who Jesus is, but it's limited at best. And so this morning, we're going to look at one of my favorite passages for a number of reasons. I didn't really grow up being very religious. I had no aspirations of ever being a pastor or speaking from the Bible. That wasn't even on my radar. I didn't read the Bible. And <clears throat> one day, a friend said to me when I was a senior in high school, hey, would you like to come to my church? It's called Calvary Bible Church. And I was like, yeah, okay. So I went, and they gave me a copy of the Gospel of St. John. And when I began to read that, I tell you the truth, it was, like, it was like light was just streaming out from it. I was thinking to myself, where have I been? This is just so incredible. I could not put the Gospel of John down. I literally took it to school, and I'm reading it in the front row of my class. And the teacher's like, what are you doing? I'm going, I'm reading the Bible. I was so excited and so transformed to learn the truth about Jesus and to have an experience of understanding the truth and the meaning to life. My fears were lifted. I wasn't afraid to die anymore. I knew that Christ had truly become my Lord and Savior, forgiven my sins. So I was so excited, I began to tell everybody to the point where they were like, what is wrong with this crazy nut? Maybe one of the funniest stories is based on this very passage we're going to look at in the beginning of John. I remember I had a friend that we were at an intersection and, and there was a red light and I recognized his car in front of me. 
I was so excited. I wanted to tell him about Jesus. So I began to flash my high beams. Now, he told me later he thought it was a policeman. So as we got through the light, we pulled over along a railroad track, and I got out of my car, and I went up into his car, and we sat there talking for about 10 or 15 minutes. And I read through, and I didn't know anything other than like, hey, man. And so I'm so excited, and I'm reading to him John 1 through 14, and just telling him about how Jesus changed my life and how he could have Jesus. And, of course, he was probably like, oh, my word, how am I going to get out of here? This guy's nuts. But, but five or ten years later, he called me. He said, hey, I got your number. Do you still follow Jesus? And I said, yeah, I do. And he said, he goes, do you know that time that you pulled me over? <laughs> That's what he said, you pulled me over by those railroad tracks and you read me that passage? And I had forgotten about it. He said, that day, I received Christ as my Savior, and I just wanted to call you back and thank you. And so I want to encourage you to consider, I knew nothing, and I would never, ever recommend that you do that, okay? <laughs> so I am not advocating that you pull people over and say, I want to tell you about Jesus. But I can tell you the truth. This book is alive and powerful. Jesus said, the flesh profits nothing. My words are spirit and life. And so to me, to look at this passage and to answer a couple questions about Jesus is, is just a thrill. So this morning, as we look at the introduction to, to the Gospel of John, we're going to answer just a couple questions. Number one, who is Jesus? According to the Bible, who is he? Number two, what has he done? Number three, why did he become a man? I mean, I get it. I know Jesus came down and was born. And then fourth, what has the world's reaction to him been? Like, so, so what are we supposed to do about that? So let's pray together, and then I invite you to follow along because it's just some staggering, staggering thoughts about Jesus here. Father, thank you so much for your word. As we consider your son, Jesus, I pray that we all might ask ourselves again, what child is this? Who is this Jesus? And may the word of God speak life, and may we all be built up in our faith. May believers come to, to, to be encouraged, to be a witness, and may others experience the joy of the new life that Christ gives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's begin in the first five verses where John's going to introduce us to a name for Jesus that isn't a very common name. In the beginning was the Word. It's one of Jesus' names, the Word. That's odd. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So I want to start by asking the question, why was Jesus called the Word? It's an unusual name. In fact, down in verse 14, it's going to tell us the Word became flesh. And there's a, it's amazing how much has been written about this. Philosophers go on and on about the divine logos and all of these platonic philosophical ideas. But there's also a sort of simpler way to, to look at this, and that is, what, are, what is the purpose of words, right? What would it be like if we had no vehicle to express ideas, if we had no words? What would it be like to not have words, right? Well, you're like, well, I, I know people who can't talk. No, no, they still have words. People who can't talk still have words. They can sign them. They can think them. But what is the purpose of words? Words communicate. Without words, we would have no ideas. We would have no ability to both express our feelings, to make commands, to make requests. But the problem with words is that in our corrupt world, the beauty of words can be twisted, they can be false, they can be slanderous. But in and of itself, 
Jesus is called the Word because words reveal, and Jesus reveals God. In fact, down in verse 18, it says, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Now notice, there's this mystery here. So here's this Word who was with God and was God. Now, is that me or is that a little confusing? My secretary many years ago said to me, you know, sometimes when I'm with myself, I do this. And I said to her, hmm, that's fascinating. Are you with yourself often? Is there any time you're not with yourself? And she's like, well, I, I guess what I meant to say was by myself. But notice what it says here. This word was with God and he was God. We're going in the deep water now because we're talking about the Trinity. Somehow the Bible communicates very clearly to us that there's only one God. That's clear. That's our, our, our Jewish friends will tell us there's only one God. Shema Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. I couldn't agree more. There's only one God. But the Bible teaches that this God exists in three equal, eternal persons. That's staggering. How, are there three gods? No, there's one. Well, is he one? But how can, well, the Bible teaches Jesus is, is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and the Father is God. They're separate but equal. But there's one God. So if you have had an experience of talking to Jehovah's Witnesses, well, you can do two things. You can hide under the furniture until they leave or give them a dime and buy their literature and go away. Or you can say to them, you know what? I disagree with you. Because the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus is not God. In fact, their Bible says in this verse, Jesus was a God, small g. So I would encourage you, first of all, to say, hey, listen, do you know the history of your Bible it was translated in the 1920s and there was clearly an agenda to deny that Jesus is God. And so many of them will say to you, well, in the Greek, it should be translated a God. Well, it's sort of a stalemate there for most people because they can't read Greek. You can't read Greek, most people. But people who can read Greek will tell you that that's just flat out not true. It can be translated, the word was God. And, and that's no little thing. I want, I want to just make sure you understand this. You cannot be a Christian and not believe that Jesus is God. See, you, you, you and a Jehovah's Witness go back for, oh yeah, I believe Jesus created us, they do too. I believe Jesus died for our sins, they do too. But you can cut right to the chase. Do you worship Jesus as God? Oh no, no. Jehovah's Witness say no. No, 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 there's only one God, Jehovah. So I, I say, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. I just happen to believe Jesus is Jehovah. He's God. And the Bible says to be a Christian, you must confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. So John lays it out right in the beginning. He says, now let's get this straight. Jesus is the word who reveals God. He's with God. They have an intimate relationship, but he is God. Well, what has he done? Well, he was in the beginning with God. And verse 3 says, all things came into being through him. One of the things we learn from the New Testament is that even though God exists in three persons, equal and eternal, that they have distinct roles. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus said, I will send the Holy Spirit. 
But when you read back in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The New Testament says, let me make it a little more specific. Let me tell you which member of the triune God was the active mediating agent who was doing the creating. It's Jesus. Look what it says. All things came into being through him. So when you're reading the six days of creation, then God said, we learn from this verse that it's the Lord Jesus himself who is orchestrating this phenomenal creation. Colossians chapter 1 says, all things came into being through him, visible and invisible. Do you realize that there's a whole other world out there that we can't see? But frankly, the one we can see is staggering in its vastness, in its order, in its beauty, and the intelligence of a creator. In fact, I like to think of it this way. Everything that has come into existence by the Lord Jesus Christ has a little hidden tag made by Jesus Christ. There's not an inch in the universe over which he doesn't reign as the sovereign creator who brought it into existence and sustains it. So how do you think he feels when day by day people are prancing around on his property, renouncing him, denying him, saying there's no God we just came into being. We just evolved out of matter. The Bible says, in him was life, and the life was the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness. Now, John is alluding to the time when Christ came to earth, that somehow his coming to earth was like turning on a flashlight in a dark room. You ever turn on a light? Now, I know you never had this, but when we lived in Texas, everybody had cockroaches. Everybody. There were no exceptions. So, but they called them water bugs because it was just too gross to think they had cockroaches. They're everywhere down there, right? So, if you've ever turned... Well, actually, we didn't have a single one in our house. We had married ones with big families, right? <laughs> this happened. You get rid of them. But if you turn on a light, cockroaches scatter, Right? So the Bible says the light shined in the darkness. John's giving us an illusion. Jesus came into the world. What happened? It says the darkness did not comprehend it. Now that word, it's an interesting word in the New Testament. It can mean overpower. It can mean comprehend. It doesn't mean both at the same time. Words have more than one meaning. So some Bibles actually say he shined into the world and the, and the darkness didn't overpower him. You see, he's personifying darkness. The Bible tells us that this world is in darkness. They don't get it. And that's insulting to most people. I'm intelligent. I have a PhD. What do you mean I don't get it? If you don't acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and your creator, the Bible says you're in darkness. And darkness resists. They don't get it. And they don't want it. The Bible says men love darkness rather than light. Do you know I heard a song yesterday, a Christmas song? It's fun to be bad. Sometimes it's fun to be bad. Come on, it's, it's naughty but necessary. That's not what the Bible teaches about sin and darkness and blindness and resistance. And it's more than just shooting drugs. It's about just ignoring God. It's ignoring Jesus, the Creator. This passage is staggering. In fact, my wife and I were leading a Bible study one time, 
And there was a girl that I'd known since she was a little kid. She's probably in her 20s. She's, she's in this Bible study, and we're reading, and Tammy had put together some questions. And she read verse 3. All things came into being through Jesus. Nothing came into being. She starts to weep. And we're going, what's wrong? She goes, wait a minute. She goes, this verse means that Jesus created me. And if he created me, then I should be serving him every day. And I haven't. I've just been ignoring him. And she wept. And she gave her life to Jesus and was transformed by the power of the word of God. So we learn that Jesus is God who created us. But let's keep going. Verse 6, there came a man sent from God whose name was John. Remember John the Baptist? Where did he come from? Weird guy in certain ways. Grew up in the, in the desert. Ate locusts and honey. Nobody really knew much about him until one day he showed up in Israel. Never did a single miracle, but he just started telling people, you better repent because Messiah is coming. And he rocked the whole, the whole town, the whole region. I mean, that's, that's incredible. Without a single miracle, he just said, repent, God is coming. The Bible tells us that the reason that God sent John the Baptist was for a witness, that he might bear witness of the light. There was a reason that John came, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came that he might bear witness of the light. He had such staggering results that the people would say to him, hey, there's thousands of people. Are you Messiah? And he goes, I'm not Messiah. I'm just here to to point you to him. You might think of John the Baptist like the moon. You ever notice the moon on a, on a dark night? Beautiful. Fo- Look at that moon. It's so bright. It's so beautiful. Ah, the moon's a poser. It's not bright. That's borrowed light. The sun's bright. And so John's like, don't make a big deal about me. I'm not, it's, I'm not the Christ. I came to point you to him to bear witness to the light. And that's what we do when we pull our friends over and say, hey, man, I'm going to tell you about the light. For those of you that might be visiting and you're like, I don't know why my relatives are all into that Bible and stuff like that, a little over the top for me. Do you, do you see why? Verse 9, there was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Now John introduces us to a phenomenal thought. Can you imagine this? Jesus Christ comes down to earth. God, who created the entire universe, shows up in the backwoods of Nazareth, born of a poor little virgin, and for 30 years never does a single miracle. And then one day he he begins to say, the Spirit of God is upon me. I'm the Messiah. And he starts making these staggering declarations. I was with the Father in the beginning. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God but through me. And his own brothers, he had brothers and sisters, the Bible says, they didn't believe in him, and neither would you. Imagine your brother, pardon me, this is driving me crazy. Imagine your brother telling you at the age of 30, by the way, did I mention that I'm God? Some of you are like, well, if you know my brother, he's been saying that. But for most of you, 
Think about that. No wonder they were overwhelmed. Wait, what? They thought he was crazy. And Jesus understood that. He said, if you don't believe me on account of my words, believe on account of my works. Nobody else is raising the dead. Nobody else is healing the blind. But this was a staggering thought for all the people around him to say, that's Joe's kid. He's a carpenter's boy. He ain't nobody special. What's wrong with him? He was in the world. And the world was made by him. And the world didn't know him. Whose fault is it? Why didn't he just come down like a glowing Martian and show everybody, hey, I'm God? And then John says he came to his own. See, he didn't just spin a globe and say, wherever this lands, that's where I'm going. From the foundation of the world, he created a holy land and a mountain and a place called Jerusalem. And the Old Testament predicted that in the fullness of times, God would send forth his son. And Jesus wasn't just spinning out of orbit and going, wherever I land, here I am. It was intentional that he would come to the Jews first. Because they are the heirs of the promises of the Old Testament. When God selected Abraham of all the people of the earth, he said, go to a place which I will show you and I will give you this land. And in your seed, all the nations will be blessed. And the Old Testament begins to unfold these special promises that God made to the Jews. And so it was only fitting and right that Jesus Christ would come first to the Jews. He said, I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And how sad, how painful that they missed their Messiah. We ought not to hate them for killing Christ. We ought to thank them for sharing him. Michael Byrd, in his commentary on Romans, he says, Romans chapter 11 says, God has given salvation to the Gentiles that we might provoke the Jews to jealousy, that they might receive him. He says, every time I meet a Jewish person, I say to them, thank you. Thank you. For what? For sharing your Messiah with me. For allowing me, a Gentile, to participate in these wonderful promises. Well, let's just say it's an understatement when it says those who are his own did not receive him. They didn't just go, no, 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 thanks. No solicitors. They crucified the Lord of glory. But lest we blame the Jews and say, yeah, and Jews killed Jesus. We all killed Jesus. It was our sins that put Christ on the cross. You say, wow, the poor fella? Nobody? John says, but wait, verse 12. But there were a few. Among the masses who rejected him, John says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. It's a very common belief among Americans that we're all children of God. Come on, man. We're all children of God. Let's just join together, get some Bono music. We are the world. We're all God's children. Like to teach the world to sing. That's what the Bible says. Don't shoot the messenger. We're not all children of God. As many as receive Christ, 
To them, he gives the right. This word means authority, the power, the privilege to become a child of God. And you say, oh, pastor, I already received Christ. You did? When? We do it every week. The Eucharist, body of Christ, body of Christ. I already received Christ. That's not what it means to receive Christ. Look what it says. To, end, to as many as received him, verse 12, to those who believe in his name. You don't receive Christ by receiving communion. And when it says here, to those who believe in his name, this is far more than an intellectual exercise of assenting. You say, well, I don't believe in Santa, but I do believe in Jesus. That's not what it means to believe in Christ. The devil believes in Christ that way. They believe that he exists. To believe in Christ is to cast your soul upon him and to trust him with a willingness to follow him as your Lord and Savior, to believe that everything he said is the truth, that anything that contradicts his words is error, and it's this lashing myself to the cross and believing that he died and rose again and trusting him alone to get me to heaven. It's a metaphor. To receive Christ is to turn from anything, your works, your sin, and to trust in Christ alone. And I ask you, can you look back and, and think of a time in your life where you say, you know, I've done that. Even if you can't remember when you received Christ, do you know that you've received Christ? You'll hear me say this many times. You don't need to see the sunrise to know the sun's out. If you're not sure that you've ever received Christ, then this morning, the best you know how, tell them, Lord Jesus, I do believe you died for me. I do believe you're Lord. I do believe you rose again. I do believe you're coming again. And I want to receive you and your gift so that you'll receive me and make me your child. I encourage you, for those of you who are like, I'm not sure yet, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in him. He's telling the truth. Many of you think to yourself, I did that. I have received Christ. I know that I'm born again. I want to give you a spiritual biology lesson. Do you remember when you first found out where you came from? For some of you, it was kind of like, what? There's no storks? I, what? How much contribution did you make to your earthly birth? For me, I was born in Camden, Cooper Hospital. Precious day, that was. <laughs> first time I saw my mom, I wept. I was like, finally. I thought it was important to be there with her. I had no part in that. But I want you to understand that the Bible continually teaches this. You did not become a follower of Christ because of your intellect, because of your cleverness, because somehow you just caused yourself to see. It was the sovereign grace of God that opened your eyes and brought you to, your, to himself. And notice how John introduces this. He goes, if you've received Christ, you were born... And this is the allusion to being born again. You were born again, not of blood. It wasn't because of your descendants. It wasn't the will of the flesh. It wasn't because you chose it. It wasn't from the will of man, but it was from God. Celebrate that this morning. 
If you know Jesus and you love him and you know your sins are forgiven and you know you're going to heaven and you love the Lord Jesus, that's because you were born of God by his sovereign will. He loved you and brought you to himself. He came to you and brought you to salvation. John says, let me go one layer deeper. Verse 14 says, and the word, he's going to kind of rehearse. He goes, the word became flesh. This is a powerful verse. The word, Jesus, became flesh. What happened that day when the Son of God stepped across the stars? When the Bible says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son. On that very day, God said, it's time, and Jesus left heaven. What happened? Here comes eternal God, Jesus Christ, down to earth. Well, let me say this. I'll tell you what did not happen. Thank you for doing that, Benjamin. Somebody said, you almost put yourself on fire. Like, people come and watch people on fire for the Lord, right? I'll be, stop and drop, and I'll keep preaching. You turn the pages. So, listen. He did not give up any of his deity. Okay? So, so a lot of people are like, oh, that's a shame. Jesus goes, oh, I can't be God for a couple years. Never. God cannot change, the Bible says. He was fully God. So what happened when Jesus came down into that little manger is he added humanity. He didn't lose deity. Jesus Christ, now in that little manger. What child is this? This is God who became a man. Unbelievable. The Bible says, great is the mystery of godliness that God would be manifested in the flesh. So think of this. When Jesus was in that little manger, he was fully God and fully man. And he will remain that way for eternity. He didn't throw off his humanity when he went back to heaven. And some of you have been told, if you want to come to God, you must go through the Father, you must go through the priest, you must go through the pastor, you must go through Mary. The Bible says there's one God and one mediator, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus is eternal God, and he's a man, and he always will be. The Word became flesh. And so when you sing Christmas carols, sleep in heaven. And I'm going, okay, stop. How about something like this? Hark the herald angels sing. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead, see, hail, the incarnate deity, pleased as man. He's a man with men to dwell. He's Jesus, our Emmanuel. That little baby wasn't just a sweet little boy. That's God in human flesh. And John says, he dwelled among us and we beheld his glory. What does that mean, we beheld his glory? Well, let me tell you this. Wherever God dwelled in his special presence, there was a bright light that shone out from his presence. It's called the Shekinah glory of God. In the Old Testament, God said, I want you to build a tabernacle that I might dwell among you. And they built this tent. And the glory of God filled that tent with a bright light. When John says the word became flesh and dwelled among us, the Greek word here is he tented, he tabernacled among us. Jesus now in his human tent as a divine God-man now had the glory of God residing in him. But the songwriter was right. Veiled in flesh. Jesus didn't come down glowing. Well, then how come John says we beheld his glory? Because while Jesus was on earth, he said this. 
He goes, some of you who are standing here will not taste death until you see the Son of Man in his glory. And one day he took John up on a mountain with Peter and James. And the Bible says Jesus was transfigured before them. And suddenly the Bible says he became as bright as the sun and they fell down on the ground in fear. And God the Father said, this is my son. Listen to him. John said, we beheld his glory. And I think to myself, boy, I wish I was there. But you know what? I'm not one bit jealous of them because I too have beheld his glory. If you are a Christian, you have beheld his glory. The Bible says, Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers. But God who shone light out of darkness has shown the light of the gospel to us that we might see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And when I close my eyes and I bow my head and I pray, we all behold the glory of Jesus. But you know what's exciting? It's going to get better. Because when Jesus comes again, the Bible says the Son of Man is going to come in glory. What will that day be like when the Lord Jesus rips apart the clouds and comes riding on his white horse and written on his thigh is the word of God. And in all his splendor, the creator of the universe comes back not as a lamb to die, but as a lion to roar. We will behold his glory and we will fall down and we will worship the glorious son of God, the Lord Jesus. John says, we behold his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the father. And then he tells us something about Jesus. He's full of grace and truth. Two things that characterize Jesus. He was full of grace. Grace is that undeserved mercy. Jesus is always reaching out to sinners. He's reaching out to adulteresses. The woman says, or Jesus says to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus is full of mercy. He'll never kick you to the curb. You come as you are broken in your sin. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I won't cast out. He's so full of grace that it's overflowing. John's going to say, he has grace upon grace, waves of grace. I know it. I know it for myself because he not only transformed me by his grace, but he sustains me by his grace. He strengthens me by his grace. And there is an unending fountain of grace available to every Christian. Don't limit the grace of Jesus to your salvation. Because grace has brought me safe thus far. And grace shall bring me home. Well, where do you get that grace? You get it at the feet of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 4 says, draw near to the throne of grace. And he will give you grace to help you in your time of need. Some of you have health problems and you're struggling and you don't know where to go. And the Lord Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. He's full of grace, but he's also full of truth. They're sisters. Lots of people want grace their way. Truth. There is such a thing as truth. Jesus is the truth. Verse 18 says, no man has seen God at any time. Now, if you've ever read the Old Testament, you'd be like, wait a minute. That's not true. I read a story in Genesis 32 about Jacob, and he wrestled with a man, and when he got done, he said, this is Peniel. I just saw God face to face. 
You leaf through a few more pages, you come to Joshua chapter 5, and you see Joshua encountering a man who says to him, I am the captain of the Lord's host. Take off your shoes, for you're on holy ground. And he falls down. You say, who is that? That's God. You skim on to the prophets, and in Isaiah chapter 6, he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. How can John say no one has seen God at any time? What John means by that is this. No one has seen the fullness of God in all of his glory. Moses wanted to see him, remember? Moses said, show me your glory, and God said, you'll be consumed. But there's a difference between seeing God in his fullness and seeing God through Jesus Christ. He says, no man who has seen seen God at any time, the only begotten son, he has explained him. That literally is he's exegeted him. If you wonder what God is like, if you want to know anything about God, look at Jesus. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen my Father. I have had people tell me this, God scares me, but I like Jesus. If you like Jesus, you like God, because he is God. And so when you're reading those Old Testament stories of people seeing God, that was Jesus. That was a pre-incarnate Jesus revealing a little bit of himself. When you read Isaiah 6 and the Lord is lifted up and the angels are crying, holy, 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 that's Jesus. The Gospel of John quotes that passage in John chapter 12 and he says, these things spoke Isaiah when he saw him. But we have the privilege of now being on the other side of the cross. Jesus has come to us, become a man, died for us, risen again. He has explained him. I had a lady one time put down on a visitor's card. Keep preaching, Pastor Tom. You've almost found the truth. Hmm, didn't sit quite right with me. I said, I'd like to meet with you. So she and her friend came. and She said, oh, Pastor... I said, what do you mean I almost found the truth? Because my Bible says Jesus is the truth. And you know I preach Jesus. She said, well, Pastor, I used to believe what you believe, but now I've gone beyond that. I Christ myself. I said, wait a minute. So are you saying that some of the things that Jesus said aren't true? She said, yeah, of course. I don't believe everything he said. I said, May I remind you that 1 Timothy chapter 6 says this, those who do not agree with the sound words of Jesus are conceited and know nothing. So this morning I want to, as we close, we go, well, what child is this? There are too many people out there who say this about Jesus. Great teacher, good guy, Love some of the stuff he said. I love that stuff about do unto others. C.S. Lewis said it this way. Please stop doing that. He said, how can you say you love some of the things a man said when he claimed to be God, when he claimed to be the only way to heaven? If that's not true, C.S. Lewis said, he's a liar, a lunatic, or a poached egg. Why would you believe anything Jesus said? If you don't believe everything Jesus said, the only begotten Son, 
He has revealed him. He has explained him. Often when I, when I, when I bow my head to pray, I think of this verse. 1 John 5.20. The Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we might know him that is true. I thank God that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came to this earth. He died on that cross. He rose from the dead. And then he, he left behind his apostles who wrote these words. And he says, these words are life. And this morning, as you hear these words, I want you to just ask yourself, where am I on Jesus' reception invitation? Are you coming to the reception You can't be in between. You either have received him and you are the son of God, a child of God, going to heaven, forgiven with eternal life, or you have not received him. And I urge you to continue to read the gospel of John because Jesus says, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So I urge you, before you leave today, if you have never received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you can do that right now. You don't have to get religious. You just come to Jesus as you are. It doesn't matter if you're an atheist or a methobacterian. You come to Jesus the best you know how. You can be seven or 70. Jesus doesn't discriminate, red and yellow, black and white. He takes people as they are. But you have to come and receive him. Jesus once said in Revelation 3, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Last night I was, I was vacuuming. My wife hates when I say this because she's like, you're just saying that because you want people to hear you were vacuuming. But I was vacuuming. It's the truth. And, and my wife, the dog's barking, and my wife calls in from the other room. She goes, someone rang the doorbell. I'm in the kitchen. I don't see anybody because we have steps. There's nobody at the door. So I'm vacuuming. She's always oh, probably the wind. So now I move into the dining room and I'm vacuuming the dining room. And all of a sudden I, I hear noises outside. And I look out this, it's hard to see out in the dark, but I see little faces out there, little angelic faces singing. It was the young adults. They had come to carol. I said, well, what happened? They said, well, we rang the doorbell, but you know, when, when you're caroling, so they rang the doorbell, they went back down. They couldn't see me, I couldn't see them. And they said, oh, he must not be home. I told him I was hiding under the furniture. But as they were leaving, they saw me in the window vacuuming, so they came back and they're singing right next to me. When I finally received them, I opened the door. Can I tell you this morning, Jesus is singing right next to you. And this might be your final song. He won't kick the door down. You must receive him. Why wouldn't you? Would it, would it offend your pride? What will people think if I'm one of those born-again religious people? Well, frankly, I don't think it matters what people think. I think it matters what he thinks. You say, well, you know, I, but it's fun to be bad. Well, I don't think people in hell are thinking that. As you go home, if you're a Christian, let's celebrate Jesus. 
Let's celebrate. Oh, Lord, thank you. You are my creator. You came into this world. You conquered sin and Satan. You dwell among us. You're revealing your grace and your glory to me. Thank you for enabling me to believe in you and granting me life. And Lord, like John the Baptist, help me to join the throng of people that are just a witness. Oh, pastor, I can't pull people over. Don't pull people over. But I can tell you this. You can be a witness. If you're a Christian, a witness just tells what they know. How can anyone deny your witness? Jesus changed my life. Be a witness. Well, what if they laugh at me? Get in line. They laughed at Jesus. They laughed at me. They may laugh at you. What if my family rejects me? Get in line. Jesus said, if the world hates me, they'll hate you. I didn't come to bring peace to the earth, but I bring a sword. And sometimes it'll divide mother and father, father and child. But sing with the songwriter, though no one join me, still I will follow. The cross before me, the world behind me. If you've never received Christ, would you do that? If you have received Christ, there's somebody out there who in your own way, you can be a witness to them. You can invite them to church. You can give them a Bible. You can pray for them. You can come alongside and help them in their, in their troubles and let the light of the gospel shine through you. We don't know how much time we have left. The same Jesus who became flesh is coming again. And so while we have the opportunity, I beg you to pray. Pray that our church will be used by God to reach as many souls as we can for Christ. The world thinks we're crazy, but we think they're lost. And we're not better or smarter, we're just blessed. And we want them to come to know him. And so I trust that the Lord Jesus will be near and dear to you as you celebrate the holiday season. Lord, thank you for your word. And Lord, your word is life. Would you grant life to people today as they leave many who have come with, with friends or loved ones or, or people from work? May, may the conversation continue. Lord, may the Lord Jesus become near to each one of us. May we love him and serve him. And we look for that day when Jesus, you'll bring us to be with you in glory when you return. Thank you for every person that heard the word of God today. I thank you for changing my life, Lord Jesus. Help me and everyone in this church to be a witness. And may the little children that sang this morning, may you raise up an army of witnesses for Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a blessed week. I'll be here afterward if you have any questions, but we'll look forward to seeing you again.